So this is the third in a series of three sermons about encountering Jesus. First, we had individual encounters with Jesus. We met the disarming Messiah, the Messiah who disarms Nathaniel, cynical, curious, doubting Nathaniel. The second Sunday, we encountered the compelling Messiah. We wondered what it's like to be persuaded by Jesus who comes and seeks us out and invites us to follow him. Now we enter the domain of the congregation and we encounter Jesus there in the synagogue in a worshiping community as he enters this sacred place near his hometown. Jesus enters the synagogue in Capernaum and begins teaching. And though we don't know exactly what he says, because Mark, as we know, likes to get to things quickly, just get to the gist of it, immediately this, immediately that, and so on. It's a very fast read. We don't know what the details are. But we know that the congregation's first reaction, very first time, Jesus has been baptized, he walks into a congregation, he begins teaching, the very first thing that happens is they're all astonished. They were astonished at his teaching, Mark says. And Mark's not emphasizing for rhetorical effect. The audience is genuinely taken aback by Jesus' message. The word carries the meaning in this context of, of being knocked out or seeing stars or being blown away or having the rug pulled out from under you. Imagine standing up high and you're afraid of heights and you look down and you get a little bit dizzy. It's a, something Jesus is doing is disorienting. It's knocking them back off their feet. So it's important to get this early on because a cursory reading would give us a sense that the people are merely ooing and eyeing over this young charismatic teacher and his marvelous lesson plans. We could easily assume that a young prophet has entered this space with authority and with confident swagger and begins tickling everyone's ears. By the end of the day, Jesus is a household name and a best-selling author. But that's not exactly how this goes. What's more likely in this case is that Jesus has entered the synagogue and begun saying things about God and God's people that are quite subversive and therefore disturbing to those who are accustomed to hearing widely accepted teaching. We can imagine that there's a mix of reactions from his hearers from raised eyebrows and scooting to the edges of one's seat to cold sweats and shortness of breath. After Jesus strides into the synagogue and begins teaching, it gets so quiet in there you can hear a pin drop on shag carpet until someone breaks the silence. A man with what Mark calls an unclean spirit shouts at Jesus. What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Now, this is the first time and not the last that the people that we've heard about in previous uh, Sundays, Nathaniel, uh, Simon and Andrew, James and John, this is the part, uh, one of their first experiences of being with Jesus and looking at each other like this, like, oh no, what have we gotten ourselves into? Who do you think you are, says the man with an unclean spirit. 
What do you mean, Jesus of Nazareth, coming in here like you own the place, into the synagogue with all this? Don't you know your place? This is the domain of scribes and scholars, not of street preachers, not of untamed prophets. Are you trying to wreck the place? This reminds me of the time when the theologian Karl Barth waltzed into the German university in Bonn. It was the spring of 1932, just a year before Hitler would take power. It was a time of great economic and political turmoil in Germany. And Barth had been teaching these other subjects, but he decided that the students were really going to need a full and heavy dose of good practical theology, especially in preaching the word of God, if they were going to contend with those unsettling times. So he started a practical theology course out of thin air, focusing on the word of God and preaching, only there was already a preaching professor who was there to do practical theology. What did Bart do about this? Well, he simply went ahead with it. He added the class to the course listing and he began teaching the class. And the students flocked to his class from the other guy, a Professor Finigsdorf. Anyone ever heard of Professor Finigsdorf? No, probably not. How do you think Professor Finigsdorf felt about this? You teachers out there, what if you're a history teacher and someone from out of town comes in and starts teaching? The same class, the same title, right beside your classroom, and all the students go to his class. Who do you think you are coming in here like this? Who do you think you are waltzing in here and teaching my course? Don't you know your place, Jesus of Nazareth? Who ever heard of anything good coming out of Nazareth? Across the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has these run-ins with scribes and these other authorities. Now, we have to be careful about this because this can sound anti-Semitic when you start punching down on, on scribes. Um, and it, Christians have, are, are notorious across centuries, across millennia, of saying we have this kind of superior knowledge and uh, now we've left all this other stuff behind and uh, we can pick on the scribes and the Pharisees, but be careful. <laughs> To say scribe uh, is really to say pastor or professor. Uh, to put it in contemporary terms, you really have to think of a scribe as someone like, well, me. A preacher. A sort of professional religious person. Someone in a position of moral authority, an interpreter of scripture. A leader of faithful people. But scribes have a hard time with Jesus himself. Because Jesus is always challenging the accepted meanings of their interpretations. It appears that in his very first teaching experience after his baptism, Jesus comes in and he immediately starts moving around the furniture. What is Jesus saying that would invite someone to shout at him in the middle of a lesson? We get some hints of the content of Jesus' earliest teaching 
in Matthew and Luke. Mark just gets right. He just wants to tell the story. He's using the vernacular of the time. Matthew and Luke, they get detailed about some of Jesus' teachings. In Matthew, it's the Sermon on the Mount. In Luke, it's the Sermon on the Plain. And though there is no sermon version in Mark, we could rightly suppose that Jesus is perhaps saying many of the same things to them as we hear him saying in Matthew and Luke. So let's wonder about that. Well, let's wonder if some of the things Jesus says in his lesson in Capernaum are also some of the things that he says so in Matthew's version of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus walks into Capernaum right off of the beach, the Sea of Galilee, sand still between his toes. And he's got everyone's attention. And he says, love your enemies. Now, what, the, what everyone's accustomed to hearing is, is from the Bible. They're, they're used to hearing teaching from the Bible. And the Bible says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And isn't that good enough? That's, that's meant to mitigate violence, to, to slow things down. Instead of you get your eye punched out, you cut someone's head off. No, you just, it's only fair that you punch their eye out. Isn't that good enough? No, Jesus says, love your enemies. In fact, if anyone persecutes you, you should pray for them. Ah, it, that's, not, that's not in the Bible. Well, Jesus keeps going and expanding the lesson. Don't even resist an evildoer. Well, how are we going to do that? Well, you, if they strike you on the right cheek, you turn the other also. And if they sue you, then give your cloak as well. Just take your whole wardrobe and just offer it to them. Stand right there in front of them, naked as a jaybird. That'll embarrass them. That'll expose them for their cruelty and their greed. If they ask you to go the long distance, then you go even farther. Ah, who, do you, who do you think you are? This doesn't make sense. Blessed are you who are poor. Oh. I once had someone come up to me after telling them my lesson plans about poverty and the church's relationship to the poor, and they put their arm around me and said, we've heard just about enough from you about the poor. <laughs> Blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are the poor. Doesn't the Bible teach us that wealth is a blessing from God? Jesus says, well, it's a really tight squeeze there. You're going to have to let go of some of this baggage if you want to get through. That's impossible. not in the Bible. And when you pray, go into hiding. What? When you pray, go into your closet, shut the door, sit in the dark. And don't say, therefore, and heretofore, and henceforth, and may it be so. Just speak plainly. Say it simply. Tell God what you need. Pray for forgiveness. Pray for the strength to forgive others. Ask for the kingdom to come. Just straight talk. God already knows. You don't need to be ornamental with your speech. Ah, well, that's not how we do it at all. 
Later on in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus encounters another scribe. And again, this is a, these, are, these are people who mean well. They're trying to get it right. They care about faith, and they're, they're interested in, in the scholarship and the scriptures. They, they want to know. They, they have a hunger, a thirst for righteousness. This scribe is listening in on Jesus' conversations with others, and he quite admires this Jesus fellow. He wants to learn more from him, so he... He introduces himself and he says, tell me, good teacher, what what is the greatest commandment? What's the first commandment? What's the most important thing of all? And Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your mind and all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. And the scribe steps back and says, wow, of course, you're right. That's a that is that's right, good teacher. That is the, the first, most, those are both the most important things. And Jesus kind of gets a little twinkle in his eye and he kind of likes this guy. And they, they talk a little bit more and, and, and the man says back to him, the scribe says, that just, that just rings true, that those would be the most important things. And Jesus says, well then, that rings true for you. You're not far from the kingdom of God. <laughs> Notice he didn't say, you've made it. He said, you're almost there. And everyone who hears that conversation never dares to ask him another question. A pastor friend of mine had an encounter like this once upon a time. Henry preaching to a large crowd. Long line at the end of the service. The conventional way that pastors stand out the vestibule or near the front door after the service and greet people. And people come by and say, good job, preacher. Thank you, pastor. Well, there was a woman in line who waited patiently to meet with Henry. And she gets right in front of him shakes his hand and stands back and turns the volume up just one or two notches. And now there's 50-some people all around. And she gets everyone's attention. And she raises her voice and she looks at Henry and she says, Now you just preached about forgiveness, but my husband just left me and all my three kids at home for another woman. He left us. He left me alone to raise these children and to pay our mortgage. And I don't have a job, and I don't know what to do. He left. I'm the responsible one. I'm doing what's right. He did what's wrong. And you're telling me in this sermon, and it's easy for you to say, that I have to forgive him? And Henry stumbled and stuttered. And he finally looked at her and he said, Yes. Yes, that's, that's what I said. And everyone in the vestibule was astonished. They had all received an astonishing dose of the gospel. 